Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Question for today is Who is Jesus? Um, and this is uh, a big question uh, throughout the Bible, throughout Colossians. Um, and it's a question that we can easily fall into just being like an intellectual question. But in reality, it's a question that is an emotional question. And so as, as we go through uh, what Paul says today about who Jesus is, these are facts that should elicit from us emotion. These are facts that from the moment that Jesus walked the earth have elicited emotion. These are facts that elicited so much emotion that people wanted to kill him. These are facts that if you know them to be true in your life, it should well up in joy and worship and celebration of who he is. So if I preach this message today and we walk away only thinking about facts or only thinking about things in our head, then we've, we've kind of done a disservice to this passage for today. Because this passage is a passage that should stir our hearts. Um, One commentator said that this is the battleground of New Testament theology. Who is the person, position, power, preeminence, and purpose of Christ? These are the questions over which the New Testament uh, writers were answering these questions and arguing these things. And since that day, theologians have argued uh, these things inside and out. And today we get to look at a beautiful passage where Paul lays out the answers to who Jesus is. And uh, this is a, it's a poetic passage, um, which leads some to believe that maybe Paul, this was a, an early hymn that Paul just included in the letter here. Um, others believe that, no, after Paul wrote this, then it became a hymn. Regardless, uh, I know some of us uh, among us have the ability to write worship songs um, there is great material in the passage for today that you could draw from, um, Keith. Uh, but I'll jump in to the passage for today. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of his cross. And so this is who Jesus is. Starts out in verse 15. I'll read that one again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. What does that mean? On Exodus, we see Moses up on the mountain having this conversation with God. And he's like, God, let me see you. And God's like, no, you can't see me or you will die. Because for a sinful human, for a sinful being to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God would mean death for us. This is why after the fall, man could no longer walk in the garden with God and dwell with him. We can't stand to live and be in his presence. It would be a death sentence for us. And yet Jesus came to us and lived among us so that he could be the image of that invisible God to us. He came to show us who God is. I have a a really, really weak illustration on this that falls apart on many levels. Um, So if you start picking it apart, I'm with you. It's not hard to pick this one apart, okay? But how many of you uh, watched uh, the hockey game last night? Maybe the Maple Leafs um, playing the Canucks? Okay, like three of you. Okay. Um, See, I'm studying for my Canadian citizenship test. And one of the questions is, what is the most popular sport in Canada? And they say that it's hockey, but you guys make me doubt this. But if they ask me that question on the test, I'm going to say hockey. But anyway, um, so some of you might have watched that. Okay, maybe this is a better uh, example for some of you. If my wife were here, she would be in this group. Um, I know that a lot of people are wanting to see uh, the Taylor Swift Eras Tour, all right? (laughs) How many of you have gone to see that in the theater and watched the movie of that? Anybody? All right. A few more, I think. A few more of that. Okay. Anyway, man, you guys are killing me on illustrations today. Um, but anyway, when we, when we go and we watch something in the theater, we watch a live event in the theater, it's, it's kind of like we get to see it, but we're not really there, right? When we watch a hockey game or any sporting event on TV... We get to see it, we get to watch what happens, but we're not there in the presence of the event, right? And so my illustration is this, that that maybe when it comes to God, yes, we would love to be in his presence, we would love to be with him, but we cannot. Just like we can't go to every sporting event or concert that we want to go to, no matter how long we sit in a queue or, or whatever, right? No, we, we just can't go to all of these things. Well, the same is with God. We can't be in his presence. And so we get the, the, the next best thing, which is the image, the picture into what he is like. You know what happened at the hockey game because you watched it, right? You know what the concert is like because you watched it. We know what it, God is like because we see Jesus, so if you, if you can bear with my illustration, uh, we, can, we could say that Jesus is like the TV through which we get to see who God is. 
like I said, this falls apart on many levels, okay? I, I can tell some of you guys are trying to dissect this. Don't, don't overthink it, all right? All right? Jesus is that image. He is the way that we get to see who God is. And, and based on that, we get to know who God is simply by knowing who Jesus is and what he's revealed to us. It goes on in that verse and it says that he's the firstborn of all creation. And now this has led to much debate as well. What does it mean for Jesus to be the firstborn? And this is a, a, a title that's given to him in several scriptures um, throughout scripture. And so it, it's not just in, in this spot. So what, is, what does the Bible mean when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn? Does that mean that he was physically born first, like he was the first one ever born? No, that's not what it means, okay? Because uh, other scriptures talk about the fact that he has always existed um, as a part of the Godhead, as a part of the Trinity. Um, from eternity past, he has always been. So there was not a point at which Jesus was not, that the second person of the Trinity was not, that there is no point that that was. So what does scripture mean when it says that he's the firstborn? Here's what it means. You, if, if you guys remember back when we spent just a little bit of time in a book called Genesis, all right, just a year or something, um, one of the things we kept seeing in there was the role of the firstborn in the family, how the firstborn had a certain status in the family. We also saw how that kept being stolen and usurped and given to other people and all this stuff. But anyway, but that's the theme that, that what scripture means when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn. He is the firstborn by status. So all of the, the status of the firstborn, all the, the, the firstborn owns by status, that is who Jesus is. So Jesus is the image of God delivered to us with the status of the firstborn. So what does it mean? I mean, what this means is that if we want to know who God is, what God is like, then we don't have to look any further than Jesus. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. This is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Jesus, fully God, came and took on human flesh and walked among us so that we could see who God is and what he is like. Like I said, this is an emotional fact. This is something that should elicit a response from us. It did when he walked the earth in John 5 and 18. So this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So from the moment that Jesus walked the earth, um, people were, the people that were against him were like, hey, you're breaking our rules. You're breaking the things. That, what was he doing on the Sabbath? He was like healing people, right? Like that was, that was so bad. Um, you're breaking our rules. You're doing these bad things. And oh, and you're calling God your father. And they understood that meant he was making himself equal with God. He wasn't saying like some people would say today, oh, well, he was a son of God, just like there's so many sons of God and there's like a whole group of sons of God or well, you and I are sons of God, daughters of God, so we're just like Jesus. No, he's, he was saying that he was something different and they knew that. And that elicited a response. That elicited a response that they said, this makes us angry. This threatens our way of life. So we want to kill him. We want to get rid of him. 
And so, so the fact is that, yes, Jesus is the image of God delivered to us. And that really challenges some people. Colossians 1.16 going on says this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so not only do we see here that, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he has the authority over all creation it was actually through him that all creation was created. Jesus made it all. It was all through him and it was all done for him. Everything, visible and invisible. Things of the earth, things of heavens, things of the physical realm, things of the spiritual realm, all of it was created by him and for him. And this, this is, is a big deal. Because what does this mean? This means that, that rocks were made by Jesus and for Jesus. What did he say when they told him to tell people to be quiet? He said, well, if they quit worshiping, the rocks are going to cry out. All of creation points to him. Trees were made by Jesus for Jesus. Mountains were made by Jesus for Jesus. Lakes were made by Jesus for Jesus. Oceans were made by Jesus for Jesus. The sun was made by Jesus for Jesus. The moon was made by Jesus for Jesus. The stars, things that people at this time would have worshipped, were made by Jesus for Jesus. Everything is made by Jesus for Jesus. This was a big statement for Paul to be making to these people like we talked about last week who were dealing with this false teaching called Gnosticism because Gnosticism would have said all physical things was evil. All physical matter is evil. We just need the spiritual. We need to get rid of the physical. We just need the spiritual. And Paul here is saying, no, Jesus made all of the physical stuff and all of that and all of the spiritual stuff, all of that is all for him. It's all to bring him glory. It's all to bring him praise. And see, this is why people wanted to kill him. Because if this is true, then that means that you and I were made by Jesus and for Jesus. And if you understand that and you understand that your life is meant to be lived for Jesus then that has a certain level of demand on how you live your life. That has a certain level of demand on what you do with the life he has given you. And so for, for us to understand that, that our lives are even created and made by Jesus and for Jesus has implications for us. And like I said, this is an emotional thing. This is a thing that should stir our hearts because everything, including us, is made by Jesus and for Jesus. So what does that make you feel? I imagine for some of us, it makes us pretty happy. I think for some of us, that probably makes our hearts want to kind of jump out of our chest a little bit because we're like, yeah, yeah, that is what I'm made for. I know him. And there's no better way to live my life than for it to be for him. I was created by him and for him, and to him he gets all the glory. 
For others of us, we're probably still in that place of kind of wrestling with that and saying, well, I don't, I I mean, I don't know, that kind of sounds kind of self-centered of him, right? That kind of of sounds like a a selfish guy. Like if, if he created everything just for himself, like what kind of God is that? I, I don't know if I want to submit to that guy. I don't, I don't know if I like that. Is he worthy of that? Is he worthy of that kind of worship? Is he worthy of that kind of praise? In verse 17, Paul answers this and he says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus the one who created everything, not only did he create everything for himself and for his glory, but also he's the one that holds it all together. The best explanation I've heard of this actually came from a kid. They heard this, I don't remember which kid or where or where I heard this, but it stands out to me that a kid said this. They heard this passage and they said, oh, So Jesus is the glue. I'm like, that is a perfect explanation. Yes, Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. Jesus is the glue that holds everything that he created together, that sustains everything, that keeps everything in motion, that keeps it all going. We can study all the sciences in the world, but at most what they are is a study of how Jesus holds it all together. All the laws of physics only hold because Jesus holds it all together. There has to be a constant for it to be a law, and Jesus is that constant. So Jesus holds it all together. He's the glue that holds everything together. And I propose to you that if he's the creator, he's the sustainer, and it's all for him, then yeah, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of all the praise. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of the way we live our lives. Another way of saying that is, and we'll see this later in the verse, it'll come up again. Another way of saying that is Jesus is preeminent. He's first and foremost. He's before all. And so I want to ask you, is Jesus preeminent in your life? Does Jesus hold that place in your life? Because not only is he before all things, he holds all things together. He's the glue. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. Verse 18, the start of it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so what does this mean for for Jesus to be the head of the body of the church? Well, as I was thinking about this, I thought about an email I got recently uh, from a lady who used to go to church here. She was actually baptized in our church. She and her husband have moved away and uh, they're looking for a new church, which if you ever move away, I encourage you to do that, look for a new church. Um, And so they're looking for a new church and they're going to this church and she's like, she sent me this email and and she said, Wayne, I we really kind of like this church, but they do this thing that I'm just not sure about. They, they get up and they recite these, all, they, they really like reciting these things that they believe in. And, um, and one of the, the things in there is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And she said, I'm, I'm just like, I, you know, nothing against Catholics, but I'm just not too sure about that, that part. Um, so I, I, I 
wrote her back and explained to her that, that what they were reciting is something called the Apostles' Creed. Um, and here at, at, uh, at Potter's, we choose to do more of a singing version of it than a reciting version of it. So we actually sang it this morning. Um, but uh, this is something from early, early Christianity. Christians have said, okay, let's boil it down to the basics, the essentials. What is it that we believe? Let's put this all in a statement together. And then we'll have that statement and we can just help it to explain to people, this is what we believe. Okay, sounds like a, a great thing, right? Um, some of you come from probably church traditions that you might have said this every Sunday. Um, others of you, you're like, what in the world are you talking about, Wayne? Um, so let's look at it. This is a version of the, of the Apostles' Creed, and uh, probably close to the one that the church she's talking about would say. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do we believe that as Christians? Yes, check, good. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Some versions have another little snippet in there about uh, descended into hell. That's a whole other discussion. We, so we, we're just going to go with this version. Next, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. So there, there it pops in what she's talking about. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So you can see why she would hear this in this church, and she would say, like, yeah, I can track with all of that. But you get to this Holy Catholic Church part, and you're like, well, this isn't even a Catholic church. Why are they talking about the Catholic Church? Well, the answer to that is, uh, what, when this was written, what Holy Catholic Church meant was all Christians everywhere that make up the body of Christ, not what is now known as the Catholic Church, okay? So, yeah, so while the Catholic Church might read and recite this, that part actually isn't referring to what we call today the Catholic Church. It's saying, I believe in the body of Christ, would be another way of saying that. I believe in the, the global church, global Christianity. And so that's why some churches on, that do recite the Apostle Creed have chosen, instead of saying the Holy Catholic Church here, they'll say the Holy Christian Church, just to avoid that confusion, okay? And, uh, and so, uh, so I bring this up to tie it back in with what we see here um, in verse 18, where he says, and he is the head of the body, the church, so what's this saying that, that Jesus is the head of? He's the head of the global church. He's head of his body, all of his people, all of his believers around the globe. He's the one in charge. Without him, the body is useless. If the body tries to do something without the head, it's not going to go very far, right? I would say try it out, cut your head off, see how it works, but don't do that, okay? Like without the head, the body doesn't go anywhere, the body can't do anything. And Jesus is the head. He's the head over the body. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are simply his body. We're his body to be used by him and service to him for his purposes, for the way that he wants to use us. If you feel like what Paul is saying here and the way that I'm explaining it this morning is making much of Jesus and little of us, then you're starting to get the point. Jesus is kind of a big deal. And the more we realize that, the better off we are. 
He goes on uh, in verse 18, it says this. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The firstborn from the dead. There's other people in scripture who rose from the dead. Do you know what all of them had to do again? Die. Jesus is the one who rose from the dead and he, he ascended into heaven. He's alive today. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in him, he is the example. And that's what we have our hope in, that after this life or if he comes back, we get to have that as well. We get to have the same in him. We get to have um, that resurrection from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Not, not in, only in spiritual matters, not in only in this area or only in this area, but in everything, Jesus is preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So if you haven't caught on yet, here's what Paul's making even more clear. Jesus is God. He's not just a TV through which you can, you can get an image, not just a little depiction of, of who God is. No, Jesus is God. That's who he is. The fullness of God was in him. Jesus is fully God. In in Christian terms, we've said he's fully God, fully man, because yes, he is fully man, born of a woman, and grew up, lived like us, died, because only God can't die, men can die. So he's man, so he could die. Fully God, because only God can be perfect. So in his perfection, he died on a cross, paying the punishment for sin, a price he did not owe so that we could be made right with him. And I say that all the time, but here in verse 20, it should challenge us to maybe think even broader about what it is that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Even broader than just our concepts relating to ourselves. Verse 20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just die for sinners. That's that's a big part of it. But he died on the cross to reconcile all things to himself. What does that mean? And why does it need reconciling? Because we've already covered, he created it all and it's all for him. So why does it need reconciling? Well, it needs reconciling because as man, we brought sin into the world. We messed it up. And that sin has affected so many things. It's rippled throughout all of creation. The impacts and you you wanna say, oh, but yeah, God made everything, but why is the world so messed up? Because of sin. Because we corrupted, we destroyed what he made that was perfect. And so what did he do? He came to reconcile it back to himself. He came to make it back right. He came to to put everything back in the way that it should be. In the end, that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna make all things right. He's gonna bring all things back together in the way that they should be. And that's where, where everything is going. That's what everything's proceeding to. And that is not possible if it were not for his death on the cross. Because by his blood, he is making peace. The world is not at peace right now. Creation is not at peace right now. 
but by his blood, he is making peace. And so that's who Jesus is. There's huge implications for this that go into our next passage um, that relate to personally to us, to individuals, and how this truth applies to us. So come back next week for that. I would have loved to give all that to you today, but we would have been here for a long time. So come back next week for that. But I want to ask you today, have you been reconciled to Jesus? The price he paid is sufficient, sufficient for all. But he asks that you believe in him, call on his name, and be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be reconciled, to be made right with him. So will you call on him? Do you believe in him? I know many of you do. And if, if you do, if you know him to be your Lord and Savior, then what is your heart saying right now? Faced with all of the facts of who he is and this beautiful passage that Paul has laid out for us. Hopefully you're worshiping him. Jesus asked the disciples one time who people were saying that he was. But then he turned the question around to them and said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? So my question for you today is, who do you say that Jesus is? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the image of God come to us, that we can see who God is. We can know our creator because you came to us. We can know what you're about, who you are by your word, by the things that were written down and conveyed to us. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that this truth is, is personal. We thank you that it's emotional. We thank you that it stirs our hearts. We thank you that it is true, so it's also confrontational. But Jesus, we thank you most of all that you did die on the cross and shed your blood to make all things right, to bring all things back into the alignment and to the way that they should be. God, thank you for who you are and all you do for us. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. As you feel yourself.